Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. So Father, now as we come around your word, I thank you, Lord, that there is an honour for the word of God in this house. Lord, we love your presence. We love your truth. We want it to come and set us free today, Lord. Renew our minds, transform our hearts, heal sick bodies in this room today. Set people free. Break off yokes of bondage and oppression of people's spirits, their emotions, their minds. Open the eyes of our heart to see you for who you really are, Jesus. We love you and honour you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to go with me to Acts chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to read through to verse 12. Uh, we're in a um, sort of mini-series this month in April on all things miracles. Miracles are normal is a statement of our kingdom culture values that um, we believe the Bible teaches. If you've never seen a miracle, you might find that hard to believe uh, because um, for you, miracles would be an exception, not the norm. But the revelation of Scripture and of Jesus' life and of the early church would testify to the fact that it's important that we don't create and develop our theology, the way we think and talk about God, based upon the absence of something, but based upon the truth of something. And that we're not to bring the Bible truth down to sort of our level and and minimize the truth of what God's Word teaches, but we're to rise up to the truth of the Word of God and begin to align with that and believe that as a practical expression of our life as much as a spiritual reality. And so last week we began this series, Miracles Are Normal, talked about the mindset that is necessary. Uh, Today I want to take another step and it begins with Acts chapter 3 verse 1 and it says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple, alms being money. He was begging for money. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive money, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for money. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While, verse 11, he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, verse 12, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? I want to speak to you today on the subject, the revelation of Jesus. The revelation of Jesus. Uh, recently, um, a 
found out last weekend, actually, a testimony of a man in our congregation, could be here today, who went to his doctor uh, for an update regarding his kidney stones, and there was severe pain and looking at further medical intervention, and uh, we prayed uh, for this particular person, and they went back after the prayer and got a scan, and the doctor said, good news, um, the kidney stones have completely disappeared and um, are no longer an issue. And if that wasn't enough to celebrate, um, the uh, doctor said, and, and, and both kidneys are clear. And um, this person said, what do you mean both kidneys? I only have one kidney. And he said, well, uh, because he had surgery, took one out. Um, and he said, well, um, you have two kidneys now. And so... We're in relationship with a God who not only heals but recreates and does amazing things. I was talking to someone uh, just before the 9 a.m. service this morning and they said their whole health of their kidneys has been completely restored, someone else, uh, just through the prayer of faith at the prayer altar here. Um, Recently, we uh, let people know last week that there was a man who um, was diagnosed with leukemia late last year. And I saw the scan of his body and cancer was right throughout his body and received prayer and uh, got completely healed. And now look at the scan. The cancer is completely gone in his body. I've seen the scan with my own eyes. Um, So I just want to tell you today, miracles are not off the menu. The day of miracles is not over, regardless of how many skeptics or what secularism says. And many believers justify powerlessness in their lives because we tend to believe the lie. Well, once I become a better Christian, I'll be able to access more power as if by our good works, we could move in more supernatural power. I thought this thing was by grace through faith, not through how many good works I could do. Good works are awesome and amazing, but they don't earn you more power. Peter said this in this passage to the response of the miracle of the lame beggar. It's not by our own power or piety, in other words, religious observance, that has made this man walk. It's by faith and faith alone in the person of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus is the catalytic key to unlocking the supernatural, miracle-working power of the kingdom of God in people's lives. Jesus has not asked you to choose between character or power. The fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, it's not like you have to choose one or the other, it's both and. We need to cultivate and develop the fruits of the Holy Spirit to be more like Jesus because that's what the work of the Holy Spirit does in our life. But the Holy Spirit is is the giver of every good gift and is wanting us to actually grow in our understanding of how to use the power of the Spirit to minister into people's lives. The manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So our motive is love. Our motive isn't for more power for ourselves. Our motive is to love God, love people. And with that pursuit of love comes a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The greatest motive for moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit is love for people, love for God, 
not trying to get people to look at us or us trying to find significance in our identity in, in miracles taking place. The goal of Christianity is not that we would simply become more well-respected citizens in our community. If that happens, that's good. And there is precedent in the Word of God that we would live in such an exemplary, honourable way that the world, uh, in all of its brokenness and chaos, would look at the church and say, you have something we don't have. I actually want to be a part of what it is that you're a part of. But the ultimate goal is not that we'd simply be well-respected in our communities or workplaces. The goal is Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so miracles are a manifestation of the kingdom of heaven in the earthly realm. If there is a lack of the miraculous, if there is a lack of the supernatural, we need to question is the kingdom present? Is it actually intervening and moving? Because as wonderful as practical acts of kindness are, God has not intended Christianity or the kingdom of God to be limited to decent, good, practical acts of kindness. He actually wants us to move in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. You see, the problem with powerless Christianity is it presents to the world an inferior view of who King Jesus is. And if there's anything that Jesus came to present to the world, it was a brilliant picture of who our Heavenly Father was. And you and I as sons and daughters of God are called to present to the world an accurate, brilliant picture of who Jesus is. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you ought to walk as I walk. Jesus said, even greater works than these will you do. God is just looking for one person, some person who will dare to believe that truth in their life and he'll come alongside and show support and strength. He is attracted to faith. He's no respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of faith. He is looking for faith. His eyes run to and fro throughout this whole auditorium and throughout the earth looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. That word loyalty doesn't just mean that you hang around long in the church. That word loyalty means you believe and your belief system is aligned with practical works that reflect your faith in Jesus. When J.B. Hi-Fi sent servants to ask Jesus uh, are you the one to come or shall we look for another? You say, who's JB Hi-Fi? John the Baptist. I have nicknames for all the people in the Bible because it helps me remember. And, uh, and so JB Hi-Fi, JB, you've done it again. He comes up to Jesus and uh, he, he, well, he doesn't. He sends his servants because he's in prison. And this wasn't in his 20-year ministry plan, if you know what I mean. And so it, we were supposed to rule and reign with you, Jesus, not end up in prison. And so he's like, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus didn't try and get into a debate and argument about his identity. He pointed to his miracles. He pointed to the miracles and the works of righteousness. And he said, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead are raised up. He said, lepers are cleansed, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who's not offended by me, JB. And so what did Jesus do? In, in, he connected who he was to the miracles that were moving through his life and ministry. 
His miracles were a testimony to his identity as the Son of God. In John 10, 38, it says, If you don't believe my words, Jesus said, at least believe my works that the Father is in me and that I am in the Father. And so we need to understand as we begin a discussion around all things supernatural, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, miracle working power of God, what fuels that in our life? Well, we've heard that faith is is a catalyst, is like the key that unlocks it, but you need to understand there was something going on in Peter and John's life that was fueling this lifestyle of miracles, and it was a lifestyle of prayer. The Bible says in verse 1 that Peter and John were on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And so we know that Jews observed two daily prayer services, the morning and evening sacrifice. And Peter and John were on their way to the evening prayer time. And so for them, prayer was not a panic button that they pushed when everything went pear-shaped in their life. It was not a one-off event that they would observe once a year or twice a year at, at sort of seasonal events. Prayer was their lifeline. It was their lifestyle. It's what they did every single day. If you go through the Gospels and read about the disciples and what they asked Jesus to teach them to do, the primary thing they asked Jesus was to teach them to pray. It wasn't how to preach a sermon, how to heal the sick, raise the dead. They would have seen that in action and learned some things. But there was something so compelling about Jesus' prayer life that they said, I want to pray like that. Because I would suggest to you that before Jesus ever healed the sick, raised the dead, or opened blind eyes, he had a prayer life. He had a prayer ministry. He had an intimate connection with his Father. His prayer life was the fuel behind the miraculous works. His prayer life was the supply line to the front line of his life and ministry. Mark 1.35 describes this, rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place to pray. And we see over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus identified a time and a place where he would pray. The greatest advice that I've ever received in my entire life is establish a time and place to meet with God every day and don't miss that appointment. And I, as I have practiced that in my life and I, as I've observed that in my life, the fruitfulness has been commensurate, direct correlation to the prayers and the intimacy that I've cultivated in the secret place in my relationship with Jesus. The greatest advice that I can give you is identify a time and a place every day that you'll meet with God and never miss it for the rest of your life. Is the rest of the day now just yours to do whatever you want and really isn't God time? No, 24-7, how many of us know that's always God's time? But here's the deal. Just like in a relationship with a spouse or a special someone, if you don't prioritize time, if you don't establish those moments of connection and intimacy, you can be like boats passing each other in the night that sort of not really, you, you sort of may live in the same house, may acknowledge each other from time to time, but you're not really cultivating the intimacy that's required to sustain that relationship. 
The same is in our relationship with Jesus. It's so good that we are gathering together in God's house today. But I want to tell you what, you have access to the wonderful counselor, the, 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 the almighty God, the helper, uh, the Holy Spirit 24-7 in your life. And so for me, I face things like you face things that are overwhelming, demands, challenges. How can I help this person in this issue in their life? The needs and the things that are in the world. Every morning I wake up at my time, at my place, and I present all those things to the Lord. And I say, Holy Spirit, I don't have the answers for these things, but I know you do. Now come and illuminate your word. Come and show me and I journal things and I write and I pray and I worship and I pour out my heart to God because I recognize it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. A lifestyle of prayer fuels a lifestyle of miracles. I have learned in ministry, it takes hours with God in private to bring breakthrough in seconds with people. Private discipline is the only thing that leads to public breakthrough. No matter how talented or gifted you are, on the platform of your job, your your, uh, sport, whatever it is, it's the private disciplines with God. The altar that you build of worship with God that brings public breakthrough in your life. At some point, your strength will fail. Your bank account won't be able to solve the problem. At some point, your talent will run out. And many people are finding strength and drawing the solutions to their problems in their life from what they can do. And God all along is saying, I've got answers for you. I've got resources that you've never accessed. There are some things you'll never be able to understand until you enter into the sanctuary of God's presence. So here is Peter and John. They're going to the temple at the hour of prayer. They're in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And not only does that intimacy fuel the the lifestyle of miracles, but it actually causes you to become sensitive to the divine interruptions of heaven. Little did they know that on their way to the temple, that there would on this day be on God's agenda for them to minister to the lame beggar. Now, this lame man was not suffering from a psychosomatic illness that could be cured by auto-suggestion. He did not have confirmation bias that just so happened to, you know, have a belief system that lined up with, with, with the reality of the miracle that just happened. He was sick. He was lame from birth, not because of sin, but because life happens and there is sin and evil and chaos in this world. And bad stuff happens to good people, and this is the reality of life. And yet in the midst of that, on this day, even though Peter and John would have walked past this man many times before, he was a grown man, he'd been lame from birth, he was daily at the gates collecting money to survive, on this day, God had an interruption. God wanted to interrupt their world with something that was on his heart. They could have walked past him, but they actually were sensitive to the moving of the Spirit in that moment. I remember one day a few years back visiting the gym like I would do any other few times a week. And I just thought, well, I didn't want to be bothered. Get in, get out, get on with the day. And I'm there and I see the personal trainer with his arm in a sling and he'd hurt himself. And I got into a bit of a conversation. 
And as we're talking, he got real quiet and he wasn't necessarily a, a believer or follower of Jesus. In fact, probably living a very alternative lifestyle to, to, to being a follower of Jesus. And, and he looked at me and he said, so do you think you could do something for my arm? And I'm sort of looking at him like, I'm not a physio and I'm not a doctor and I'm not this and I'm that. And he goes, yeah, you know, like, do your thing. Do your thing. And, and I'm so, like, I'm slow, but I'm worth waiting on. And I, so the penny finally dropped. And I'm like, oh, he wants me to do my thing, whatever that thing is. And so I, I smiled and had a bit of a laugh. And, and so just right there as the music's pumping in the gym and everyone's working out and sweat's flying everywhere and it is what it is. And, and I just put a, my arm gently, hand gently on his shoulder and began to pray in the name of Jesus. I just command this arm to be healed. Can I suggest to you also that the miracle working power is not in the formula of the prayer. It's in your faith in Jesus' name. Stop worrying about the formula. Just do you believe in that name that is above every other name? And so as we began to pray, all of a sudden he's like, my arm's heating up and it's getting hotter. And, and I said, well, that could be good or it could be bad. Um, let's just wait and see. And so we're praying. And, 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 and as I'm just saying a general prayer, he goes, you know what? It's, I feel the pain actually disappearing from my elbow joint. I said, well, why don't you try and do something? Don't lift the 100 kilo. Just go over to the little, you know, 10 and, and pick that up. And he began to use it and he said, I, I can't believe this. My arm's been completely restored, healed. Now, simple day, simple prayer. But someone, even though they were slow, had to be sensitive. Because I could have said, oh, oh, yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll catch, I'll catch you a bit later. But God wanted to do something right there. Remember, another time just being at a, a barber's down here in Paran and the person was talking about pain in their shoulder and at the end of the uh, cut, I just, as I was paying the bill, I just said, hey, and again, this person was not a follower of Jesus. I explained my faith in Christ and just said, hey, would you be okay if I just pray with you right now in front of the whole, everyone in the whole barber cellar and right there and God began to minister healing to her shoulder. What I'm trying to tell you is this isn't about just you know, stories for pastors of churches. This can be your reality as a follower of Jesus Christ every single day. As you are sensitive out of intimacy with Jesus about what God wants to do in your life. How many miracles have we missed because we weren't sensitive to the Holy Spirit? How many things have we walked past because we're just too focused upon our daily agenda? Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Is there any space for the spontaneity of the Spirit in your life? Or is your life so full, so busy, that there's no room for a suddenly? Think about Acts chapter 2, verse 2. The Bible says, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seated, and divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What is that passage? It's describing the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a sudden response to 10 days of prayer and fasting, 
and seeking God, sometimes it takes perseverance and persistence in prayer to get us suddenly. Sometimes we don't see the suddenlies because we don't persist and persevere in faith and prayer. I don't know about you, but I believe that we're still in the day of suddenlies. We're still in the day of spontaneous divine interruptions that flow out of intimacy with Jesus. Where we're living our lives and we're going to the cafe, going to the gym, running our kids around, doing what we do in our jobs, but the Holy Spirit prompts our heart. And rather than waiting for some $100 spectacular burning bush Moses moment, we've got to be obedient with the 10 cent slither of revelation and prompting of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives because that is the very thing that God wants to use to bring a testimony into some person's life. You know, in the economy of the kingdom of God, it's the revelation of faith in Jesus that is our greatest currency, not the silver and gold of this world. In verse 6, it's the classic statement from Peter, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Think about this. If Peter had have only given money, it would have fed the man maybe a day, two days a week but he would have still been a beggar sitting at the gate beautiful. But because Peter carried a revelation of faith in Jesus, he imparted that revelation because you can only uh, impart what you carry in your own life. You cannot live vicariously through someone else's revelation of who Jesus is. You've got to carry it for yourself. And in that revelation was the power that was necessary to activate and trigger this healing In Jesus' name, rise up and walk. I came across this amazing encounter in history between St. Thomas Aquinas and Pope Innocent II. And the Pope was showing Thomas around the Vatican and all the riches of the Vatican. And and he said, see, Thomas, no longer can the church say silver and gold I do not have. And uh, Thomas responded back to the Pope, that's true, but neither can the church say rise up and walk. You see, we've got to be careful that we don't let our first love for Jesus get replaced by our first love for this world. God's not against silver and gold. He uses it. He he allowed us to create it for transactions in this earthly realm. What He is against is you and I worshipping it, you and I having affection for it, you and I loving it more than we have an affection and a worship and an honour for His presence. And the moment you and I become enamored with our facilities and this and that and all that man can produce, we lose the very thing, the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage off of people's lives and sets them through the greatest legacy that you can pass on to your children and to your family and to your work colleagues is a revelation of faith in Jesus Christ. I am standing doing what I'm doing today because I stand on the revelation of other people's shoulders who passed on to me a revelation of Jesus that has transformed my life. Amen. Got one supporter. That's good. (laughs) I heard this amazing story about how um, a young man was graduating college and he just got a job over on the other side of America. True story on the East Coast. 
and uh, he decided that his dad was quite wealthy, and so he decided that he wanted to try and drop his dad hints as to what graduation present he should get him. And so he took his dad to a car dealership and uh, showed him this beautiful sports car and sort of, you know, dropped holy hints that uh, his dad should buy him this for a graduation present. And, um, and graduation time came, and uh, they were all back at the house, and they were partying and celebrating before the next day he was to drive across the country and start his new job. And he goes into the office and study with his dad, and he, his dad's like, come in here, I want to give you something. And so he's, the kid's all excited, the son's expectant, he's going to get this beautiful new sports car, and his dad hands him this book all wrapped up. And so as he opens the wrapping of the book, he looks and sees that it has Holy Bible on the front. And immediately in a rage, he picks up the Bible, he throws it across the study and he says, I don't want your Bible and I don't want your God. And he stormed out of the room, packed his bags and he never saw his father again. Years passed and he had very little contact in terms of, you know, on the phone, etc., with his dad and mainly with the extended family. And he married, uh, had kids and was living his life until finally a family member said, uh, your dad is sick and he's dying, you need to come back. And if you want to see him and you want your kids to see their grandfather, you better come back now. He begins the journey back across the States from East Coast to West Coast. And on the way, he gets news his father has died. He never got to see his father and reconciled. After the funeral, they're back at the same house and they're having a wake. And he goes to um, the office and the study that he last had a conversation with his dad. And he's looking around the bookshelf of this study. He comes across the very Bible that he threw across the room all those years before. And as he opened the Bible, he pulled it out of the shelf, and as he opened the Bible, out fell out this set of car keys. And he looks at these car keys on the ground, picks it up, and he opens the Bible to where the car keys were in, and it was at Mark 8.36. What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. He takes the car keys, goes out to the multi-car garage, and undercover was the very sports car that he'd asked his father to buy him all of those years before. His father had bought the car for him, and his father had looked after this gift for his son. But the father wanted his son to know that the greatest gift he could pass on to his son was a revelation of faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the Father is the giver of every good and perfect gift, but the greatest gift that God gave us was Jesus. He so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son, so that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, with that revelation of who Jesus is must come a practical demonstration. And in this story and in this passage, we see that once Peter declares the truth that faith in Jesus can bring about a miracle in this man's body, he does something practically. The Bible says in verse 7 and 8 that he took him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, the man stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You see, Peter's declaration of his revelation of Jesus moved to application. 
there is a point in our journey with God where we've got to stop being professional explainers of the gospel and we've got to start to become practical demonstrators. Faith apart from works is dead, James 2.26. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.4, Paul says, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Let us not be a generation of believers that are more educated than we are obedient. We hear more than we put into action. If you took one, two, three, four, 10% of what you've heard today and act on it and put it into your life, you're going to be further ahead than you've ever been in your life. Jesus didn't say greater knowledge than this will you know. He said greater works than these will you do. Knowledge is only powerful if it's connected to application. Our knowledge will not become understanding. It will not become wisdom if we don't practically apply it. The miracle will stay dormant as long as our faith stays dormant. Our faith has to be activated. It has to work. And in a world that's filled with other competing priorities, this is challenging this is countercultural, but you are a son and daughter of the Most High God. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You've got the DNA of heaven inside of you. There's stuff in this world God wants you to rectify. He wants you to resolve. He wants you to be the solution and the answer. It's in the word of God, the seed of his word, and in the power of the spirit that is in your life. It was at the point of contact. He declared it. But then he reached out a hand. He said, let me help you up. It had to move from confession to action. And when revelation is partnered with demonstration, not only do miracles break out, but the purpose of the miracle is salvation. Miracles are not an end in themselves. Praise God, these people have been healed. Wonderful. But here's the deal. If the miracle stops... With our applause that look what God has done and it doesn't lead people to an encounter with Jesus, then it's great for the individual, but they're not signs and blunders, they're signs and wonders. They're supposed to be catalytic to more and more people coming to encounter Jesus as Lord and Saviour. The Bible says that at the miracle in verse 11, people ran together to them in the portico and then Peter began to preach the gospel. And in verse 4 of Acts 4, it says, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. I love the quote that says, miracles are the dinner bell of salvation. You know, in our household, when it's time for dinner, um, generally my wife, Simone, I'd like to say, I would say it more, but it's generally my wife, Simone, who lets everyone know in the house, it's dinner time. And uh, sometimes she can say a few times, hey kids, get off the, the Xbox, it's dinner time. Hey kids, stop that, do that, stop watching that, it's dinner time. I want to tell you today, miracles are the dinner bell of salvation for people in our world. If there's no miracles, then how do people know that they've got a seat at the table in the kingdom of God? If there's no miraculous, if there's no signs and wonders, then don't, let's not be surprised that the Western church is in decline because we've sanitized the power of God out of the church, thinking 
that if we just look more and more secular like the rest of the world, that will be attractive to everyone in the, in, in the community. I say, how's that going for you? How's that going? Because the last time I checked, it's not working out too well. But I tell you what, when we get back on God's agenda... And we get back to the early beginnings of what God did and, and just simple living the life of faith and prayer and just coming and gathering together, not forsaking, assembling together and worship. And we live out of that with a genuineness and an authenticity. And you do that every day of your life knowing you're human and you're going to mess up, but there is a Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that will empower you. He says, don't you dare leave home without the, being clothed with power from on high because you can't do this thing called the kingdom of God and you can't follow Jesus if you've not been filled with his presence and his power. The supernatural isn't accessible to just a few. The supernatural, the kingdom of God is accessible to every single follower of Jesus. And God is calling us deeper and he's wanting us to let the world know there's a seat at the table for you. There's a seat at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb for all eternity. And signs and wonders are one of those things that God uses. We heard a couple of weeks ago from Dr. Alan Meyer that God ministers healing and transformation through power and process. I praise God that we're a church that doesn't just in, in one foot in one camp, we've got a foot in both camps. Absolutely, something's happened in your life. Miracles break through, through the process of discipleship, understanding truth, having your heart transformed, renewing your mind. But then there's this other thing called power, encounters and miracles in the Gospels and in the Word of God, where Jesus, do you know 40% of Jesus' ministry was deliverance ministry, casting out devils? When was the last time you saw a demon cast out? That's a, that may be a challenging question. I'm not um, afraid of the devil. Well, because the Bible says, greater is he who's in you than he that's in the world. I believe every now and then, just demon come out is a good thing. Very good thing. And we've we got we to gotta love people through that, not embarrass them through that. We've got to teach people how to maturely process that, not become all weird and think that there's a devil behind every bush that they go by. That's not helpful either. Anyone been around some of those churches? That's not helpful either. But I tell you what, we belong to an upside-down kingdom where when Jesus showed up, demons went running. When Jesus showed up, people got healed. When Jesus showed up, the secrets of men and women's hearts were revealed. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you ought to walk in the same way. I don't know about you, but I'm up for it. I want it. Is anybody else with me today? Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, 
please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.